Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. We're very happy to say hello to Mike Salk up at Seattle Sports Station, host of the Brock and Salk Show, which is in the mornings, which means... He's got the afternoons open and is nice enough to join us here, getting you ready for a uh, big playoff game between division rivals this Saturday. Mike, first of all, isn't it surprising to see both these teams going off as the first game of the wildcard weekend, the Houston Texans Memorial time slot? I thought it would have gotten a a more prestigious primetime placement. Well, I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one complaining about this. I was saying that this morning on the show. People are like, oh, we kind of like the early Saturday. I'm like, what? This is for the Jaguars, the Texans, the Titans, the Bills before they were good. I mean, this is a terrible time slot, and I totally agree with you. I would have thought that this game would have gotten, like, the Sunday afternoon, right, the second game on Sunday or something like that, because there are probably some better games. But, yeah, I'm with you. That's garbage. At what point in time during this year did you officially buy in to, like, the Geno Smith, this could actually be a better year than anyone had predicted going into the season? At what point did the light come on, hey, these guys kind of can play? Yeah, they won those four straight games in the middle of the year. And, you know, it turns out none of the teams they played ended up being all that good other than the Giants. But it was enough, right? It was enough during that stretch to sort of make everybody take notice and say, hold on a second, we got this entire thing wrong. We were wrong about, well, a lot of people were wrong about Pete, the people who wanted Jody Allen, the owner, to choose Russ over Pete. Can you imagine if that had happened? Oh, my God, what a disaster it would have been here. Uh, and, and all of us, myself included, for sure, who were wrong about Gino, I, I wasn't just wrong. I was as wrong as wrong can be about Gino Smith. I mean, I have... I I truly believe it is one of the most incredible turnaround stories we've ever seen in sports over time. I don't mean like a one-game surprise update, you know, upset or a series. I mean a guy who literally we all thought was bad, and he turns out to be a pro bowler and very good. Who do you know was right about Geno Smith, though? I mean, it doesn't sound like you're in a minority here, and nobody thought that was a good idea. I mean, it looked like the Seahawks had no choice. They, they just, you know, it was, well, whoever they took, they were going to suck at quarterback, and it turns out they took the absolute rightest guy. Yeah, I mean, I guess you got to give Pete Carroll some credit. I mean, they did decide, he and John Schneider, to go down that road. No one thought, I mean, I'm not even sure Gino thought it. Uh, and I don't know whether Pete was expecting him to play as well as he did, but they had other options, right? I mean, we had talked about Jimmy Garoppolo. We had talked about... You know, Baker Mayfield, who they could have gone after. They, they had other options and other directions they could have gone. And they kept saying, look, we believe in Geno. And quite frankly, we even like Drew Locke. 
and we didn't believe him, right? None of us. I remember Tim Hasselbeck saying that, uh, you know, they don't have two ones, they have two twos at best, and I was right there with them. And now, this is what a sucker I am, I'm now sitting here going, if they lose Geno Smith, I might have to believe Pete that Drew Locke is pretty good. <laughs> well, no, the reason why I asked was not whether Pete Carroll and John Schneider believed this was a good idea. Anybody outside that building, because I never heard anybody say, man, they're in good shape taking Geno Smith. Yeah, not really. Uh, you know, we have KJ Wright on our show, former Seahawks linebacker. He liked Geno a little bit, but even he didn't think this was going to evolve. I mean, it, it really has been a special story. I don't know if he'll win comeback player of the year because there's a debate as to whether he's coming back from anything, right, other than just not playing for the last half a decade. But, you know, com compared to the guy that he was, not just the player he was, right, but the, the guy that he was and the personality that he was when he was with the Jets and not taking responsibility for anything. We talked to Mark Sanchez, who was his, uh, you know, teammate then, is that Gino would kind of show up, sleep in his eyes, still wearing his pajamas, not taking life too seriously. Obviously, he gets punched by the teammate. You know, fast forward to today, and I don't just love what he's done on the field. He has answered every single question flawlessly throughout the entirety of the season. He's been a great leader. He's harnessed some of his competitive frustration and turned it into leadership. It really is, honestly, it, it is such a bizarre, cool story. And he's going to make some money this offseason. He made all of, his all of his bonus money this year. He got a, uh, a million dollars when the Lions won the other night. And you could sort of see the, the tears. I mean, this guy has made... What is it? Nine million or something like that over the course of his career. He makes seven million this year and he's probably going to make 30 plus in the offseason. That's a pretty huge change in what his life has been like for Geno Smith. Mike Salk, Seattle sports talker here on 95.7 The Game. And, you know, we got ourselves a rivalry sort of reborn. It, it was supposed to end, you know, Harbaugh, Legion of Boom. Two teams go, you know, their separate ways, if you will. The Rams really rear their head in the NFC West. And, and this felt like, you know, maybe it was going to be put on the back burner. But here we go again. And, I mean... All the stars, all of the great, you know, borderline future Hall of Famers, if not future Hall of Famers, who've been involved in this rivalry. It comes down to Brock Purdy versus Geno Smith, just like we all <laughs> thought it would, Mike. If Geno and Pete were to roll down here and drop maybe the upset of the NFL weekend, give me two or three things that you think 100% need to happen for Seattle to shock the world. Can Trey Lance play? If, if you hurt Brock Purdy, maybe. But that ankle might not even have him dressing. It's Josh Johnson if you if you knock Purdy out. I don't know. I think I'd still rather see Trey Lance if that's a possibility. I, I don't, you know, we're trying to write what that script looks like for a Seahawks upset. And, you know, if they play t 10 times, what do the Seahawks win? Twice, right? Maybe three times, somewhere in that range. Um, it probably, look, it's going to have to start with stopping the run shutting down Christian McCaffrey, shutting down that running game. Because, honestly, the Seahawks' pass defense is pretty good. I mean, as bad as it's been for the last few years, this kid, Tariq Woolen, they got playing cornerback. He does not have a personality like Richard Sherman, and he's not quite as physical, but he's a whole lot faster. And he is a legitimate lockdown corner. Probably should be defensive rookie of the year. I know it'll go to Sauce Gardner because he you know plays in New York. But Tariq's been every bit as good as Gardner has over the course of this year. They can stop the pass. 
if they can actually stop San Francisco's running game, and by the way, they struggle to stop most running games that aren't even as good as the Niners, but that's where it's got to start. And then offensively, you know, huge game from your tackles. You've got two rookie bookend tackles. Can they slow down Bosa, et cetera? Probably not, but it's going to start there. And they got to run the ball. I don't know if you guys have watched Ken Walker. He's good. He really is. I mean, he's a really good young running back. And, you know, Pete wants to run the ball. It's important to him, important to the Seahawks' entire, you know, philosophy. But they're going to have to do all those things against a team that really doesn't let anyone do those things. So I'm not exactly brimming with confidence, but I also look at it and say, you know, in their last, you know, since Purdy took over, what, the Niners scored 35-plus in every game except for one, and that's when the Seahawks held them to 21. Yeah, there was a... Also, a little Travis Homer fumble that led to seven of those points as well. So, in order to believe that the Seahawks have a chance, you have to believe that they figured out some sort of way to at least slow down that Niner attack. Uh, In general, how do people in Seattle feel about the Seahawks right now? And how dramatic a change would there have been in the mood in the town if Green Bay hadn't coughed up its, its chance to get into the postseason? Well, yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, I was kind of asking folks about that today because it doesn't feel like some of those previous Seahawks teams, right, where you knew they were good and they were expected to win and the whole city felt like they were rallying around the Seahawks. I don't know if it feels quite like that, but I think there's more of a sense that this is the way things were in 2010 and 11 when Pete first took over and you could see a nucleus being built. We're really excited about having the Broncos pick, which we thought was going to be third overall. Now it's going to be the fifth overall pick, thanks to the Broncos finally getting a win and the NFL sort of screwing around with the schedule a little bit last weekend. But I don't know whether the mood would have been that different if Detroit had lost that game, which certainly I expected would happen. I mean, if you look at it and say, either way, they were 9-8 and eight with a really young team and you just had an incredible draft class. Almost every single member of it contributed in a major way to this team and looks great moving forward. You've got four picks in the first two rounds, three in the top, what, 35 next year in the draft. So I think there's a lot of optimism, but I don't know whether it's about what this particular unit can do for the rest of this year. Mike, you've been in Seattle longer than the Space Needle, basically, so you've seen it all. Is this Pete Carroll's best season as a head coach? I asked KJ Wright that question today. He said yes. Um, I don't know whether I would say that. It's right there. I, I really believe that in 2014, the year they got back to the Super Bowl and lost, getting back-to-back Super Bowls, getting to that moment, I think is an incredible coaching job. And I think what he did the next year, after the trauma of the pick at the one-yard line and all of that, to get that team back to the playoffs again, that included the Cam Chancellor holdout, those two years were pretty special in my book, but this one is right there with it just because of what talent he had on the team and how young everybody was. I mean, other than DK Metcalf and you know Tyler Lockett, who's perennially ignored and overlooked, what stars are on this Seahawks team? There really aren't a lot of them, and yet Pete's found a way to just sort of use his philosophy, use his culture uh, to to get them to the playoffs for the 10th time in the 13 years he's been here in Seattle. Mike Salk from up in Seattle on 95.7 The Game. Let's wrap up with this because, look, Seattle is a city that officially like loves and protects and cherishes their own. And Russell Wilson obviously was one of your own, and he was the king of that town for many, many, many years. 
So what is the real level of schadenfreude to see his flop so hard in Denver? And, you know, is is there any almost sympathy thinking, geez, if they had just kept him around, it wouldn't have ended quite like that? Or, or is it just fans are happy to be done with him? Did he really burn his bridges? Yeah, I've never seen anything quite like that. I mean, fans actually legitimately seem to be pretty happy to be done with Russell Wilson. And it's not that everyone doesn't recognize the incredible decade that he had here in Seattle as the best quarterback in franchise history. But I think there's a simultaneous belief that inside of that was his desire for legacy, his own personal desire to to play a specific style of play that he's not very good at, a desire to win MVP awards, etc., that wasn't going to happen, and that he viewed Pete Carroll and, the, and their system as the problem. And when he was out on his own and was allowed to do all of the things that he thought he should be able to do here, it, it turns out Pete wasn't the problem. Pete had a really good sense as to what Russ was good at and what he wasn't and put him in a really good position to succeed for that decade plus here in Seattle. So, you know, go back and, and look at the difference between the way the fans reacted to Russ's return and Bobby Wagner's two captains, two longtime, you know, stalwarts of the Seattle team. Russ was booed. Pete essentially encouraged the team to the, the fans rather to do so. Whereas Bobby was cheered and revered and honored by Pete and everybody else in the organization. I mean, there had to be stuff going on behind the scenes, which we now know quite a bit about, that led to all of that. So, you know, you throw in the fact that the Seahawks have their first two picks this year. And I don't think there were many Seahawks fans who were feeling sympathetic at all. That could change into the future now that you don't have their picks. But, I mean, listen to the stuff Russ is saying. I mean, it's like a daily part of our show, playing Russell Wilson, trying to pretend like he knows the lunch lady and the other people. They very clearly doesn't know who they are, but he's trying to prove he's a human being every day in his press conferences in Denver. I swear to God, we spend almost as much time talking about the Broncos as we do the Seahawks. (laughs) Mike, uh, Ray's got one more for you. Let me just quickly welcome everyone to our 4 o'clock hour. You're listening to 95.7 The Game, KGMZ FM and HD1 San Francisco. Always live on Twitch, YouTube, and the free Odyssey app. Damn well better be free. Can a case be made that Geno Smith might have saved Pete Carroll from a forced retirement? You could probably have that. It's a good question, Ray, and and as a longtime sports writer, I'm not surprised you asked it. I don't think so. I, I think Pete was on pretty solid ground. So I. I think that when when Jody Allen had a meeting last year and was faced with a decision between Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, essentially, she chose Pete Carroll. She chose culture over quarterback, which I think most people disagreed with at the time. And I think she was very smart. It's hard to find a franchise quarterback. It might be even harder to find a legitimate franchise coach like Pete is. And she knew it was going to take it some time in all likelihood to rebuild this roster and certainly to find the ideal quarterback. I don't know whether Gino's that guy or not. We'll see what happens this offseason. Pete made some allusion to the fact that maybe they're okay in their system going with, you know, another quarterback, maybe Drew Locke, maybe somebody else, and maybe they'll end up drafting a guy in the top five. But I, I don't think so. I, I think Pete's on pretty solid ground, and people have been wondering about it for a while. And every year, it, it turns out he knows exactly what he's doing and seems to have quite a bit of respect from the people above him. Mike Salk knows everything going on up in Seattle. The, your answer doesn't need to be longer than 20 seconds because it's a hockey question. 
How big are the Kraken? Is it still working up there? Are the Kraken still like Team DuJour up in Seattle? Well, they won six in a row. They're pretty good this year. They're heading into Boston tomorrow for a huge matchup with the really, really good Bruins. I'm into it, but I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in Boston, and hockey's kind of in my blood. We don't talk a ton about it, and you know, I'm not sure how much the fans are ready for that kind of conversation. But it's fun, and when they do make the playoffs, Seattle's certainly a town that will support a winner, and I think they will by, uh, by this year. Will you have an NBA team in the next decade? Yes, as soon as one is available. I mean, the building is ready for it. I mean, when they, this building is magnificent, if you guys haven't been up. It really is an absolutely gorgeous building. And it's ready for hockey. And, the, you know, the Lloyd Wikis and the folks who built it are in touch with the NBA. Their owner, David Bonderman, is a minority owner with the Celtics. As soon as there's a team ready to expand or move, they're coming here. It's just a matter of when, not if. Um, I said I was, was going to ask one more question, but I'm asking one more, one more question. Once the Seahawks are done, does it become a Kraken town for a while? Well, don't forget about our other team that just made the playoffs for the first time in 20 years. I mean, there is a pretty significant buzz around the Mariners right now. They haven't had a huge offseason, but they you know, ended this gigantic playoff drought. They got young Julio Rodriguez, who might be the most exciting young player in, in baseball right now. They got a really great young pitching staff. They traded for Luis Castillo, who was a, a legitimate ace. I don't know. I mean, the Mariners have a pretty good case to say that right now it's a Mariner town more than even a Seahawks town. Hey, San Francisco is a Mitch Hanniger town. What do you think of that? Oh, you guys are going to love Mitch. He's such a such a great dude and such a fun player to watch when he's healthy. And obviously that last statement is huge. He just hasn't been healthy consistently. And it's not always been his fault. He's had these freak injuries, right? I mean, you guys know about his midsection uh, injury that kept him out a couple of years ago. And, and you feel terrible for him because he's a grinder. And he's a really, really good hitter when he's on. You guys will like Mitch. Fun, great, fun, fun dude, and just a really, really good, solid baseball player. Mike Salk, fun dude, really, really good, solid radio talk guy. Thank you so much for joining us today, man. And and we plan to home and home. I'll, I'll talk to you on Friday morning. Absolutely, looking forward to it, Damon and Bray. Thank you, huge fan of yours as well. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.